Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 38 of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. In last week's episode, we recapped the 2022 MLB Hall of Fame decision that saw David Ortiz get his name forever enshrined in the halls of Cooperstown, with a little hint of controversy as well. In this week's episode, however, We'll be continuing with our examination of the National League East in the hopes of finding the best player from each team in the division of all time. But before we hop into that, I want to give a quick update on the MLB lockout. Unfortunately, the lockout is still very much in effect, and the February 14th deadline for pitchers and catchers to report seems pretty unlikely to be met. The owners and the Players Association have met up a few times just trying to iron out these little parts of the arguments, but they've just continued to shoot down each other's ideas, keeping the discussions in a similar place to where they were about two months ago. The fate of spring training is still very much in the air, but it's starting to look more and more unlikely to happen with the first set of games starting February 26th. So, as of right now, analysts seem to think that the regular season won't be delayed, as some sort of decision will more than likely happen before the season opener on March 31st. But regardless, I'll keep you updated as we draw ever closer to these dates, and keep you updated on any and all changes coming out of the MLB. Anyway, on to the rest of the podcast. Let's kick off the National League East with the 2021 World Series champion Atlanta Braves. The Braves, who have been around for 146 seasons, have seen unbelievable talent span through every name change they ever went through. First, they were the famous Boston Red Stockings, who then became the Boston Bean Eaters. And then, around 1907, they went through more name changes like the Boston Doves, the Rustlers, the Bees, before finally landing on the Boston Braves in 1912. After a quick and temporary trip to the Braves' new home in Milwaukee, they decided to move south in 1966 to become the Atlanta Braves, that we all know of today. With all of this moving around and name changes in the 146 seasons, I believe it's still pretty obvious who the Braves' number one player of all time is. Hammer and Hank Aaron. Henry Aaron is undoubtedly one of the best Braves, let alone best players, that baseball has ever seen. He played for the Braves, both in Milwaukee and Atlanta, by the way, for 21 years. And in those 21 years, he displayed some of the most incredible hitting stats the world had ever seen. Hank had 3,771 hits in his career, third most all time. That averages out to around 164 hits per season. He also had 755 home runs, a record that was only beaten by Barry Bonds, 31 years later, mind you. 
Hank also had 2,297 RBIs, the most in the history of baseball, and 6,856 total bases, which, again, is the most in the history of baseball. Henry Aaron was a first ballot Hall of Famer, unsurprisingly, in 1982 when he collected 97.8% of the votes from the Baseball Writers Association. His career 143.1 wins above replacement is good for fifth best on the all-time list, a pretty incredible feat just by itself. But when it comes to the Braves, so many unbelievable players led that team to an all-time 501 win-loss percentage. I mean, guys like Warren Spahn, Eddie Matthews, Phil Nierko, Chipper Jones, John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, Andrew Jones, and on and on and on. I mean, talk about an exciting team to watch over the years. Now, let's move on to the Miami Marlins, who, unlike the Braves, have had a pretty short stay up to this point in the MLB. But that's not to say that the Marlins have not been successful and have actually seen some pretty impressive talent in that time. In the 29 seasons of Marlins baseball, they've won two World Series and a pretty impressive overall 461 win-loss percentage up to this point. This one, however, is a little bit harder to find a true best-ever player for. You see... The majority of the players that joined the Marlins throughout the years either got their start with the Marlins right before being traded elsewhere or played just a couple of seasons with the team before moving on somewhere else. Giancarlo Stanton is the first one that comes to mind when you're thinking about this. Stanton played eight of his 12 years in the major leagues with the Marlins, where he collected 960 of his 1,299 career hits in his career. He also slugged 267 of his 347 home runs there too. Stanton received his two Silver Sluggers, his MVP award, and three of his four All-Star Game appearances in a Marlins uniform as well. And I feel that alone is kind of reason enough to put Stanton as number one on the Marlins' all-time list. But he's not alone with this trend of being traded kind of in his prime. Miguel Cabrera, the man who just recently joined the 500 home run club, started his career with the Florida Marlins, where he played for five years before going to Detroit. Christian Yelich played five years in Miami as well, still the majority of his nine-year MLB career. Hanley Ramirez is a close second as he played the majority of his 15-year career with the Marlins, spending seven years in Florida with them, collecting a Rookie of the Year award, three All-Star appearances, and two Silver Sluggers. I think Hanley and Josh Johnson are probably tied for second all-time as Johnson pitched eight solid seasons with the Marlins, collecting a career 56 wins and 37 losses, and a 3.15 ERA. It seems right now that the Marlins have a bit of a bright future ahead of them, however, with players that could shake up this list pretty easily. I mean, we're talking about guys like Brian Anderson and Sandy Alcantara, 
that have been doing their part to one day push the Marlins back into the playoffs. The New York Mets are next to go, with 60 seasons worth of players that have really made an impact on the game of baseball and the New York sports landscape. And in their ranks, I've decided on four players that really stand out, three of which are pitchers. I believe that Jacob deGrom deserves to be mentioned here. I mean, last year, deGrom had a below one ERA for like a couple of months there to start the season thanks to his absolutely electric, near-unhittable 102-mile-per-hour fastball. I mean, let me put it this way. DeGrom finished 2021, his 8th year in the MLB, with a 1.08 ERA in the, although kind of short, 15 games that he pitched. I mean, not to mention a Rookie of the Year award and two Cy Young awards that are all his. But also, you have to look at another incredible starter by the name of Dwight Gooden, who, in his 11 years with the Mets, had a career 157 and 85 win-loss record, and a 310 ERA with a Rookie of the Year and a Cy Young Award as well. And of course, I have to put in Tom Seaver here, who pitched 12 strong years for the Mets, winning 198 games and collecting a 257 ERA in New York. Oh, and did I mention the three Cy Young Awards and the Rookie of the Year Award that he received in New York as well? The fourth and final player that I felt deserved some praise in this ranking was the Gold Glove third baseman, David Wright, who was as productive at the plate as he was in the field. Wright finished his career with a .296 batting average and two silver sluggers to go with his two gold gloves, and his seven All-Star Game appearances. But I think with all of this talent in mind, I still have to pick out the dominant Tom Seaver as the Mets' number one player of all time. You see, Seaver pitched 4,783 innings in his 20 years in the big leagues. In that time, he collected 3,640 strikeouts, which, by the way, is sixth on the all-time list. He had a career 286 ERA thanks to his incredibly impressive 311 win to 205 loss career record and a 109.9 war. He won the ERA title three times, was in the All-Star Game 12 times, and was a first-time ballot Hall of Famer in 1992 collecting 98.8% of the votes from the Baseball Writers Association. Some really incredible stuff from the righty out of Fresno, California. Next, we have the Philadelphia Phillies who, in their 139 seasons, have collected two World Series championships after their one and only name change from the Philadelphia Quakers in 1889. Like some of the others, I feel that this one is a bit of a toss-up between two players, Robin Roberts and Mike Schmidt. Roberts had a career 341 ERA with a 286 win and 245 lost career record in his 19 years in the MLB. With the Phillies, however, Robin was unstoppable. In 14 seasons 
Robin struck out 1,871 hitters and had 35 shutouts and 272 complete games. I mean, Roberts was very capable of working very late into ballgames without much drop in consistency on the mound. Actually, as a matter of fact, Robin won the Major League Player of the Year award in 1952 when he led the league in eight of the recorded categories in wins, complete games, innings pitched, and batter's face, just to name a few. But I think this Hall of Famer still just barely loses out to another Phillies Hall of Famer, Mike Schmidt. I mentioned before in this podcast how important it is to have a player that can do literally everything, from making unbelievable plays in the field to getting hits, hitting players home, and creating opportunities at the plate. And Mike Schmidt is the embodiment of that. Schmidt hit the 500 home run mark two and a half years before he retired, which helped him with his six Silver Slugger awards. He also had 10 Gold Glove awards in his 18-year career with the Phillies. And not only did he have 12 All-Star Game appearances and three MVP awards to his name in that time, but also a World Series ring thanks to his efforts in the 1980 World Series. The first ballot Hall of Famer was voted into Cooperstown in 1995 with 96.5% of the votes to immortalize his efforts in Philadelphia. And finally, last but very much not least, we move on to the Washington Nationals, or the before-named Montreal Expos. Now, one kind of funny thing about the Expos is the fact that Tom Brady, the 22-year veteran NFL quarterback, was the last athlete still in professional sports that had been drafted by the Montreal Expos all those years ago. I mean, it's just kind of funny to think what would have been if he went to the MLB instead of the NFL. But anyway, the three players that I'm going to talk about in this franchise actually played for the Expos before they became the Nationals in 2005. Hall of Famer Andre Dawson had 2,774 hits, 438 home runs, and a career 279 batting average. Pretty good, right? I mean, like Schmidt, he earned eight Gold Glove awards on top of his four Silver Sluggers, coupled with an MVP award and a Rookie of the Year award as well. Tim Raines had a career 2,605 hits and a 294 career batting average in his 23 seasons in the big leagues, 13 of which were spent in Montreal. But I think the honors have to go to the 11-time All-Star, Hall of Fame catcher, Gary Carter. In his career, Carter earned three gold gloves and five silver sluggers and a 1986 World Series ring. Twelve of his 19 seasons in the big leagues were spent with Montreal, where he collected 1,427 of his career 2,092 hits and 220 of his 324 home runs as well. Carter, too, was put into the Hall of Fame in 2003 in his sixth year of eligibility. Now, if I were to choose between stars of the still rather newly formed Washington Nationals, 
I think it would have to be between Max Scherzer and Ryan Zimmerman, two guys who are still very much at the top of their games as they slowly near the end of their careers. So there we go. That was a look at the National League East and the best players from each team headlined by Henry Aaron, Giancarlo Stanton, Tom Seaver, Mike Schmidt, and Gary Carter. And, just like that, we are all done with the National League. So before we move on to the American League, we'll have a short intermission next week where we'll talk about the weird yet very wonderful Savannah Bananas Baseball Club. Thank you for listening.